So let me read to you Exodus uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 23. It says, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord, said, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out to Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what is, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment and allow the passage to just resonate over us, and then I'll share some words.
Amen. Last week, we continued in the series that we've been in talking about strengthening the soul. And if you remember, it's kind of a remix of a series that we began in February. We've come back to it again, trying to look back at these stories and these passages uh, in light of what we have walked through over the last several months and trying to think about what that looks like and what that means. Last week, as we talked about it, we talked about an intentional time of silence and solitude. We talked about taking this time so that it could reveal to us so it could show us, so it could remind us the truth of who we are, how it is that we become this person, and what it is that we are still becoming, what it is that God is still trying to do and work in us. We talked about the value of a time of solitude with Jesus to help us in finding the truth about me. Today we're going we're gonna to turn it a little bit. We're going to talk about a similar thing, but turn like you might a jewel and look at a different area of it or a different side of it and recognize something new and different. Is that another reality of what comes out of this intentional chime with Jesus is that we also get the opportunity at finding the truth about God. Knowing more about ourselves and who we are and how we became this way is an important part of our discipleship journey. It's an important part of this ongoing journey towards discipleship of becoming who we're created to be and who we're called to be. Of all of those things beginning to surface, it gives us glimpses of who it is that Jesus has created us to be. But the most important piece of what happens in time alone with Jesus, in times of silence and in solitude, is that we get the opportunity to come to understand who God is. That we get the chance to see what God loves, what God cares about, and what God is doing in creation so that we can join and respond in that. In the story we read about Moses, we find several truths that I want to point out this morning, several truths about who God is and what it is that we discover about God if we're willing to stop and be in the presence of God. And we can see in the story these things that he did for Moses and for the Israelites, but also I think the pressing forward desire that God has to be connected with us, to be around us, to be stirring in us. The first of those is pretty simple that we see in God's interactions with Moses and with the Israelites that God hears and cares about the cries of people. That last little bit of Exodus chapter 2, it said this. It said, years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. God heard the cries of the Israelite slaves. And it may not have seemed like to them that that was the case. It may not have seemed like God was listening or God heard what was going on. They may have wondered where was God in the midst of their suffering. Why had God left them in this place of suffering, in this torturous place that they had continued to be beaten and oppressed and pushed? Also possible that their wondering began to push them to the place of asking questions as to whether or not God cared about them at all. I feel like sometimes we do the same kind of thing. 
we begin, especially in difficult times, to ask questions about what it is that God is doing. We cry out to God, and when God doesn't respond in exactly the way we anticipate or in exactly the time that we anticipate, when God doesn't rush in quickly and resolve everything, sometimes we begin to ask questions about whether or not God cares or hears us. We begin to have doubts about who God is and what God is doing, wondering if he's hearing our cries, wondering if he cares about what it is that we're walking through. And then sometimes those questions over time begin to grow bigger as we continue to ask and continue to wonder and continue to look. And then sometimes we see that those questions even turn from questions into statements. So instead of asking, does God hear me? Does God care about me? They turn into statements that say, God does not hear my prayers. God does not care about my suffering. And yet I think that the passage makes it clear to us that God heard their cries. God cared about their cries. It's specifically stated, and yet we know as we look at the story that it also meant that God did not rush in and rescue them in exactly the way that, that they anticipated God also didn't immediately surface in the first moment of their pain and their suffering and their struggle. But God heard. As they continued to cry out, God heard what they were doing. God was always present, always listening, always working in their midst, even if they didn't recognize God at work. This story, I think, really significantly and gives us a, a special glimpse into what that sometimes looks like as God is working. Because we're told that God heard their cry, that God cared about what they were doing, and then chapter 3 begins to tell us about God at work. But God at work still wasn't happening among the, Egypt, uh, among the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. God at work wasn't happening in a way that they could see or experience at all. They had to trust, they had to believe that as they continued to cry out that God was hearing, that God was working because what the story tells us is that as God began to work, as God began to work to answer the cries of their heart, what he did is he began to work in the desert. In the life of an Israelite shepherd who had once lived in Egypt, God began working in the life of Moses. God was waiting for Moses. All this time because God was ready to meet with Moses. We find Moses wandering in the desert with these sheep. A story that although it's a strange transition from where he once was as we read it here, it doesn't seem like it's abnormal at all. This has become life for him. Married to Zipporah, living as a part of Jethro's family, his spending time with these sheep had become normal. It had become his life. It had become his new pace, his new rhythm, his new expectation from day to day. We're told that as he wandered on this specific day with these sheep that he'd gotten a little further away from Midian, the town that they lived, that they lived in than he normally did. And that while he was out there, he saw a bush burning on the side of a mountain. And apparently, the bush burning alone was not the piece of the story that was odd. That apparently happened because there's no Whoa, what's going on at the reality of a burning bush? It was the reality that the bush continued to burn, that it never burnt up, that it continued to burn as he watched it. That part was unusual. So Moses went to find what was happening. He went to see what was happening with this bush, why it continued to burn, and what it was that was taking place. 
And what he found is that God was waiting for him there. God was waiting for Moses to come and investigate what was happening with a bush that never burned up. And here we're given evidence into the second truth about who God is, about what God was doing there, about what God desires to do now, in that God desired to meet with Moses. And I think the same is true for us today. God desires to meet with us. The more and more I read this story, the more and more I become amazed at what the interaction between God and Moses looked like at the burning bush. There was no yelling from God. There was no urgency or desperation. There were no cries that, that Moses go to work now, that he begin to move and that he get, for, get moving forward because there are things to accomplish and things to do that he had to get moving, that, that these people were looking for him and expecting his rescue. He isn't in a hurry to drive Moses to action. Instead, God speaks to Moses and he asks him to take off his shoes and stay a while. Stay here in the presence of God. Stay here in the midst of this bush that was burning but never burnt up. And I absolutely believe that this story is here and is told in the way it is because God also desires to meet with us in similar ways. God desires that you and I would be willing to come into the presence of God and sit and stay a while. God is searching for faithful women and men who are willing to sit at the feet of the Savior and be satisfied there. Not need more or want more or have to know what comes next or have to know what the expectation is of us, but are willing to come and sit at the feet of the Savior and be satisfied simply in the opportunity to be with Jesus. But we only get here through the practices of silence and solitude through the intentional time that we create to be alone with Jesus. And it's in this time of silence and solitude, if we're willing to be honest about who we are and who we've become, if we're willing to reject those things that we find in our life that are not of God, that need to be pushed away, we only come to this place of being willing to slow down and sit in the presence of God if you and I will slow down. Slow down, notice, join God in the places where God is already at work. For Moses, this opportunity, this calling came through a burning bush. For us, it happens in a multitude of other places. It happens in life interactions. It happens in commitments to stop and be still and be slow in spaces of worship in our homes or in our houses or outdoor in nature. But in this multitude of places, God is crying out for us to stop, to take off our shoes and stay a while. Ruth Haley Barton says this. Do we have a screen yet? Not yet. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton says this. Says the practice of paying attention awakens us to what is extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. As we live our lives in humble response to the one who is calling to us out of the burning bush in our own lives, we discover that we are standing on holy ground more often than we think. We learn to pay attention like this. 
in intentional times of silence and solitude with Jesus. We learn to pay attention like this if you and I are willing to grab a hold of this opportunity for solitude with the Holy Spirit. And if we pay attention, then we can find that God longs to be alone with us, longs for us to sit and stay a while. And if we do so, that the Holy Spirit will do this miraculous work of transformation inside of us and that that transformation that's taking place will then, not before, not a rush to go to work, but will then drive us forward into what it is that God is doing in us and through us, what God desires to happen, the truth that we learn about what God wants from us. And it leads us into a third just truth about God that I want to point out. The truth that God desires for you and me to join in the work that God is already doing. We don't have to find it or create it or make it up. The calling on us is to look for where God is at work and join God in the work that God is already doing. The story tells us that God heard the cry of the Israelites and God decided it was time to act. So here in Egypt where the Israelites are crying out, they're crying out and God hears their cry and decides it's time to act. But the way that God does that is by going out into the desert and beginning to work and stir in the life of Moses. Beginning to transform who Moses is and what is happening in Moses. So God invites Moses to come and to stay a while, to sit in the presence of God. And then the invitation that comes out of that sitting and that staying is that Moses will join with God in rescuing their people. Moses and God out here at a burning bush on a mountain in the desert, the people of Israel back here in Egypt, that Moses will join with God in doing what God wants to do and is already doing in their midst, even though they don't see it, even though they don't recognize it. God wants to use Moses in this great work of bringing salvation to the Israelites. All of Moses' life had prepared him for this. All of Moses' life was getting him ready for this opportunity and this time and this space. He had been uniquely prepared by God because of all the other experiences that he walked through, uniquely prepared by God to come into this space, into this time, and meet God and serve God in this way, in bringing salvation to God's people. Valley, God desires to bring salvation to people today. God desires to bring rescue to people. And God is inviting us out of our faithfulness to silence and solitude, out of our commitment to the kingdom of God, to join God in the work that God desires to do of bringing salvation to all people. And you and I are uniquely created, uniquely designed, uniquely prepared to walk into this calling. Sometimes in very general ways and sometimes in very specific ways because of what it is that we've experienced in our own discipleship journey, what it is we've experienced in our own journey with Christ. It prepares us and makes us ready to meet with others in their journey of faith, to join with them in what they're doing, to join with them in what God desires to do in them and through them with us. 
Barton says, in this amazing dialogue, Moses experienced the great paradox of calling. God was saying in essence, it is all about you because you are the one I have called. And it's not about you at all because it's all about me, God, and my work in and through you. Perhaps you remember that in February or March we talked through this specifically then. The reminder then and today, it is all about you because God has called you. God has called me. God has specifically called us. So it is about us. And yet at the exact same time, it is all about God because God is the one who... The music will play. You're right. All about you. All about God. Let's just forget about it for now. And we're going to transition to the other one when I need the music in a little bit. But No, you're good. I know. I know. But it's just, we're not going to get there because I'm almost done. Um, so we're not going to get to needing it by time. But thank you for working on it. Um, we're still trying to figure out our tech glitches and all that's happening in that. Um, so let me, again, let's wrap up with this piece of grasping. Let me read this quote one more time because I want us to hear the value of this and then share a couple words that I think are important in it. In this amazing dialogue, Moses experienced the great paradox of calling. God was saying, in essence, it's all about you because you are the one I have called. And it's not about you at all because it was all about me, God, and my work in and through you. Church, it is all about you. It is all about me. It is all about us because God called us, specifically us. And it is all about God because God is the one at work, the one doing the work. Whether we show up or not, whether we join God or not, whether we fail along the way or not, God is at work doing the incredible work that God desires to do. So claims that we make, that we make out of humility, and I know that we do, when, when a response comes to something that we've done in honoring God, and, and we might say, oh, it's, it's not about me at all, it's all about what God is doing or saying through me, actually in ways contradicts what it is that God had to say. Because God says that it is about you and me, that God has chosen you and me for specific tasks that the Romans passage we talked about, talked about, or that I read earlier, talks about the different giftings that people have. It is about us and the ways in which we've been created and that we have been called. God has chosen to use you and me as tools for bringing rescue and restoration to all of creation. Your work matters. My work matters. Don't deny the credit that God has given you for being willing to join God in God's work. But also, don't steal from God the credit that is God's. God is doing the work, but God has chosen us to be a part of it. It's so important for us to remember that God doesn't need us to do the work of bringing salvation to people. And yet, God chose to use us to accomplish that task. God chose Sandy and Amy and Bill 
and Henry and Valley. It is about our willingness to respond. Even in these strange days that we've walked through, it's important for us to remember that the Holy Spirit is still desiring to do incredible work in us, still desiring to bring strength to our souls, still desiring to make us into the people that we were called to be, that we were created to be. And this begins with you and I and our willingness to be alone with Jesus, to spend time in silence and solitude because it's in this place and in this space that we're able to find out the truth about who God is, the truths that God hears the cries of people. God hears our cries, our cries for rescue and strength and peace and mercy the truth that Jesus longs for us to sit in his presence, longs to be in our presence, longs to be together. The truth that God has created us to join in the work that God is doing. That Jesus has rescued us so that we can turn around and bring rescue to others. The Holy Spirit has equipped us specifically and generally for this calling of joining with him, of joining in the work of recreation that God desires to do in all people and for all of creation. And this strength of soul that God is striving to work in us comes when we are finding the truth about God. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, we thank you for calling us for desiring to meet with us, for longing to be in our presence and to have us in yours. God, I pray that you would give us the desire to experience you in this kind of way, the longing to be with you, alone with you in your presence. God, may we recognize in the midst of your presence that you hear the cries of your people, our cries and the cries of others. And God, that you work to answer those cries, to meet those cries, to, to answer those prayers. Often by using your people as the tools to get the work done. So God, may we be ready to join you in the work that you are already doing in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.